everyone, it's Carol, and welcome to Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next in every episode by tracking my latest retail trajectories and through interviews with experts who are charting the course, but always with tactics and takeaways for wherever you play in retail. Today marks the relaunch of Speakerman Speaks Retail, or you could probably just call it a continuation because we are on a short hiatus as we move to a new platform. But I'm super excited to be back with you, especially right now as we cruise into yet another unprecedented holiday season after a year of unprecedented change in retail. So we've got lots to talk about. But if you haven't tuned in before, the retail trajectories that I mentioned just a minute ago are themes and calls to action that tie together all the seemingly rando stuff happening in retail to get to the heart of why and how it matters to you. Now, at any given time, I'm tracking 30 or 40 trajectories for my clients, for my media appearances, and of course, for this podcast. My trajectories create a universal language that everyone can speak fluently across categories, borders, business models, and touch points. And that's so important as retail becomes more and more diverse and as so many stakeholders are involved in it. My trajectories are designed to withstand the test of time and to evolve over time. So we're going to revisit them so that we can track where they're going and what they mean to your business. We're going to track some of these transformations today and focus specifically on what's been flaring up on the hot topic heat map. And one surefire but definitely unscientific way to do that is just to track what my clients are the most concerned about and also what the media continues to ask me about. It hasn't changed that much since we were last together. A lot of the issues that were boiling up then and bubbling to the surface have just gained momentum. Today, we're going to talk about the top three hot spots, the big three, if you will, going into third and fourth quarter and into 2022. Here they are. At the top of the leaderboard is supply chain snafus. This encompasses everything from empty shelves and shipping delays to sourcing shifts. And if you want to reach even further out, you could wrap in the world of last mile delivery and all the one-upmanship that's happening in that space. Number two is labor shortages. Now that's pretty self-explanatory. Good workers are hard to find, but right now, plenty of retailers would probably just settle for warm bodies, particularly as we go into the heat of the holiday shopping season. And coming in at number three is inflation and price increases. Now, these aren't the sexiest of topics, but they're keeping plenty of people awake at night, including lots of my clients. And it would be one thing if they were just operating in isolation because retailers have levers that they can pull to troubleshoot on them individually. The rub is they're mutually reinforcing and they all impact different retailers and stakeholders differently. Not only is it a moving target, it's more of a challenge in terms of complexity. Let's go through them one by one and pull in some trajectories that tie it all together. When it comes to supply chain snafus, this is where we're going to spend the most time because there's so many moving parts involved, or you could say immovable parts because that's part of the problem. But even big, sweeping, earnest efforts like the government stepping in to ensure that two major U.S. ports in L.A. and Long Beach are going to be running 24-7 and just trying to churn it out, even that's more of a spot treatment than a fix because these problems do run up and down the supply chain. So it's not just the ports, it's also reliance on offshore manufacturing, driver shortages, and even increased demand, something that would normally be a good problem to have, but when you combine it with everything else, it just spells trouble. These supply chain log jams really do exacerbate the other two hot buttons. So labor shortages and rising costs are a spinoff, and the supply chain really is the hub for all these hassles. And as I mentioned, 
It affects different retailers differently, and they're all taking different approaches to managing it. One of my top retail trajectories really comes into play here. Buy, build, or bridge. The fact that after years of attempting to build everything themselves, many retailers have been on a buying spree. They've been buying capabilities and talent, going back to those labor shortages, through acquisitions. But they've also been bridging capabilities in record numbers. They've been relying on partnerships. In fact, this is the fastest growing of the three over the last 12 months. But the most successful retailers are doing all three at once. They're buying, building, and bridging. They're always having to decide which of the strategies makes the most sense in order to build up capabilities and to take advantages of opportunities. Dollar General's an example of a retailer that's really been leaning into building. They've taken more ownership of their supply chain. They brought their food distribution in-house. And generally, their philosophy lately has been, the more you own, the more variables you take out. And over time, the lower the cost. So Dollar General's taking the long view through building to take on two of the big three, the supply chain snafus we're talking about and also cost increases, which we'll get to in just a minute. Amazon's basically doing the same thing by building out its own transportation network. Now, just over the past two weeks, I've seen the number of Amazon-branded delivery trucks in my neighborhood go from zero to several deliveries a day. So there's an obvious ramp up, and it's going to be super interesting to see what they do once it's all built out. But others are leaning into partnerships. In fact, this is the fastest growing strategy of the three, and they're leaving supply chain upgrades to the experts. Like Kroger's hook up with Ocado. Ocado's building big distribution bridges for Kroger through micro-fulfillment centers that they call sheds, along with Ocado's automated fulfillment tools. You put the two together, and it's already making a big difference in Kroger's business. Now, some of these partnerships, these bridge relationships, exemplify one of my evergreen trajectories, frenemy forays. Retailers are partnering with competing retailers to make things happen and also to monetize their platforms. Like Home Depot just hooking up with Walmart, becoming Walmart's first major retail customer to tap into Walmart's Go Local delivery platform. But retailers are building these bridges to new capabilities and doing it through the help of third parties because they know they can't do everything themselves and they no longer want to. Partnerships at the end of the day are just a more agile and cost-effective way to get things done. Now, this is really great news for all kinds of suppliers and solution providers. And I can tell you that retailers' receptivity to outside solutions is opening up a world of opportunity for my clients, particularly in the technology space. So we've talked about building and bridging, but we're also going to see a patchwork of acquisitions, everything from last-mile delivery to robotics solutions and more. So the buying activity isn't going to slow down either. And that's great news for companies that are looking to be acquired. In fact, plenty of these acquisitions, these buy decisions, are starting out as bridge partnerships. I've been involved with a few of these where retailers or brands test the waters through partnerships. Then when they see the results and feel good about the relationship and the culture fit, they pull the trigger on a partial or full acquisition. So great news for those of you who want to be acquired. Retailers are on the hunt. The big takeaway is that solving supply chain snafus is going to require a mix of buying, building, and bridging at every link of the supply chain. The big guys, they're going to have the advantage here because they have the luxury of deploying all three options at will. And I think that's going to trickle down to the brands and their chosen business models, or at least it should. Recently, we've seen a pullback on wholesale partnerships, for example, where more brands have been taking ownership of their brands and pushing into direct-to-consumer. 
trying to cut off their reliance on retailers in general. Well, now it might make sense for brands to revisit that, to let those retailers do some of the heavy lifting and to harness their scale to resolve some of these supply chain snafus. It doesn't have to be a permanent decision, but it might be prudent for now. Either way, communication and transparency are critical. Just being honest with your partners and customers about what can and can't happen. IKEA made a really interesting decision recently in that vein. They decided to remove unavailable items entirely from their website rather than suggesting alternatives. Their thinking is if you're suggesting alternatives, you're continually reinforcing that things aren't available. So it's not a bad strategy in terms of transparency, but I have to believe it's going to cut into sales. Our second hot button in the trouble trifecta, labor shortages, is further weakening several of those other supply chain links. Because if there aren't people to unload the containers, drivers to move the products, store associates to merchandise and sell stuff, the best laid plans just fall apart. Right now, there are 5 million fewer people working than before the pandemic started, and 3 million fewer even looking for work. That wasn't supposed to happen with unemployment benefits being cut off and schools reopening. So there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of knee-jerk thinking. The curmudgeons are claiming that government assistance and unemployment made people lazy and no one wants to work anymore. Of course, the realities are much more complicated, but either way, workers are in the driver's seat for the first time in a long time. But let's talk about some of those complicated realities. First of all, to blame all of it on stimulus checks is short-sighted and simplistic if for no other reason than this shortages were a problem before the pandemic, so it hasn't just sprung into being. And in some cases, retailers' own headcount reductions during the pandemic have come back to bite them. The pandemic led to a mass reassessment of priorities more than anything. As businesses slowed down or shut down, workers took time to reevaluate. Retailers are used to being able to flex their workforces up and down, but when they flexed way down during the pandemic, some employees looked for other options. Now that everyone's trying to flex up at the same time, shortages are happening everywhere. Government benefits are a factor, but not in the way that it's often portrayed. Benefits didn't cause labor shortages so much as enable new thinking around risk, benefit, and reward. Workers took a beat, and then they made new decisions. Worker pay is definitely one of the elephants in the room, and for a long time, retailers said they just couldn't afford to raise wages. Until they did. Now you have fast food restaurants competing with the better wages that retailers are offering, not to mention benefits like college tuition that Amazon, Walmart, and Target are starting to pony up. So in many cases, we're talking about a trade-off and a migration between retail sectors and between individual companies rather than a universal shortage. But one of the hard truths going forward is that if you can't afford to pay workers a living wage, you really don't have a viable business model. That's not to say that wages are the only fix. They aren't. And when you talk to actual workers, as I have recently, you get even more insight. They're telling me that even when wages are competitive, workers don't always stick around, not because they're flighty or lazy, but because companies are cramming massive amounts of mandatory overtime on them the minute they're hired. So they're overloading the new guys to make up for shortages. And sometimes they have really creative ways of doing that without violating labor laws. In some cases, they've just figured out how to do more with fewer people, and they're not even trying to hit historic hiring levels. But that does lead to burnout, and then people quit. By the way, the conversation around retail workers is usually focused around folks that work in stores. But you have to include factory workers and all those others who make things happen further down the supply chain 
to get the full picture. And that's where the marvels known as just-in-time manufacturing and lean manufacturing can come into play. Or really, they've been factors for a while, way before the pandemic started. Factory workers tell me that things have gotten so lean that even the idea of having spare parts around to repair equipment can seem frivolous. That causes equipment downtime, which shuts down operations and leads to future scrambles. From there, it inhibits companies' ability to even boost production in the future. Workers tell me that more than anything, it's the relentless drive for profit that's leading to short-term thinking, and particularly on the manufacturing side. Bottom line, there are all kinds of mini cascades that can be triggered by the smallest or the biggest things. A missing component, a factory shutdown overseas due to COVID. It's the combination, though, of the existing variables that were there way before the pandemic, exacerbated by all these new ones, that's causing all the ruckus. It's tempting to see automation as the answer. Just replace people with robots and you're good to go. And plenty of retailers are looking into automation or they're ramping it up right now. But as I've been saying for a while, the transitions between now and next usually drag on much longer than anyone would have predicted. The trajectory and call to action here is to find treasure in those transitions because the most successful companies are doing just that. They're effectively monetizing and managing through the transitions rather than just lurching ahead into the new and going scorched earth. So even though Amazon is champing at the bit to scale its cashierless concepts, and companies like Akato are signing licensing deals to provide automated fulfillment solutions to all kinds of retailers, not just Kroger, even though chatbots and conversational commerce and voice activation are all the rage, there's always a lag time, an in-between time, and we're at the beginning of the between time, The trick, then, is to artfully manage the balance between technology and people and to make good decisions about which is the better option in all kinds of scenarios, behind the scenes and customer-facing. And sometimes sophistication is the enemy, and that can give small to mid-sized operators a big advantage. Big retailers may seem to be throwing money at workers, but when algorithms drive the schedules, predictable pay can be a real problem. Smaller brands and retailers can offer continuity, and workers tell me that that really counts. So when you combine fits and starts manufacturing, unpredictable demand surges, the need to shift sourcing strategies on a dime, air shipping costs, paying the VIG to shippers and transporters, and yes, incentivizing all those workers, our third trouble spot, price increases, becomes an inevitability. Now, overall, the experts are saying there's no cause for panic just yet. But if the supply chain snarls that we've been talking about continue well into 2022, that could easily change. The good news for retailers and brands is that as the pandemic has started to slow down, sales of higher margin discretionary categories have increased and consumers are spending again. But it's a real bummer when you see surges in demand that can't be satisfied with current supply. You stay up wondering just how good it could have been. Or even worse, you look at the data and know exactly how good it could have been. And that's where a lot of retailers and brands find themselves. Hard discounters and dollar stores, particularly ones like Dollar Tree that have literally sold everything for a dollar traditionally, just don't have as much wiggle room to offset cost increases. But wouldn't you know, for the first time in the company's 40-year history, Dollar Tree is raising prices on some items. They're going to go above a dollar as part of their Dollar Tree Plus initiative. The strategy's rolling out to stores right now. It's going to continue into 2022, so they definitely see it as a long-term strategy. But there are other hedges against price increases. 
One of my top trajectories and calls to action is diversify or die. With a few exceptions, retailers are growing mostly through diversification. Diversification into new categories, either through brand partnerships or online marketplace expansion. Diversification into new formats. These days, being a multi-format retailer is more of a rule than an exception. Diversification into solutions and services, whether that's health and wellness, financial solutions, fulfillment, or those frenemy forays we talked about where they're monetizing their platform investments with other retailers. So all of that to say that retailers that have embraced diversification in its many forms, they're the ones that have the advantage when it comes to navigating this trouble trifecta. Because these retailers can cut prices in some categories, then make up for it in others that are experiencing higher demand. They can also make up for lost product sales by promoting their solutions and services, and so on. The silver lining is that retail is still benefiting from pinup demand. So shoppers may be more impulsive and less price resistant across all channels for a while. You top that with the supply chain scares, and scarcity may actually upstage discounts this holiday for the first time in a long time. Like I said in the beginning, the big three are mutually reinforcing, and sometimes that's actually good news. So let's wrap up by tracking those trajectories and takeaways. First off, Retailers and brands will be buying, building, and bridging to navigate through the choppy waters. Going into 2022, building bridges to new capabilities and to new talent is really going to accelerate. Partnerships that address one or more of the big three pain points are on the rise. And in some cases, they're going to serve as runways for acquisitions next year. Just as the pandemic has served as the ultimate stress test for retailers and brands, Supply chain, labor, and price problems are proving everyone's mettle in the wake of it. So look at this as an opportunity to shine and build trust, to validate their decision to partner with you rather than attempting to go it alone through building or buying. How do your products, services, and solutions mitigate the big three? Secondly, retailers and brands are becoming newfound frenemies, and these frenemy forays are going to accelerate as a bridge-building spinoff. So if your solutions, services, or products solve for any of the big three, you might just hit a double or a triple when one of your prospects or your customers hooks up with a competitor, or two, or three. So keep track of these hookups because it's time to parlay and play. Third, diversify or die is retail's new power rule. The more diversified the business from a category, channel, format, and business model standpoint, the more fortified you're going to be against the big three. Now, this is where large-scale operators do tend to have an advantage in tackling the big three, because they can pivot. But think about how this plays to your strengths. How do you support retailer and brand diversification? And also, how the diversification of your business is right for the retail times. That's a very powerful story to tell. Or maybe it's a sore spot that you need to address if your business is too narrow. Finally, acknowledge that the transitions between now and next always drag on longer than anyone would have predicted. It isn't just now or next. The spaces in between are a real sweet spot. So it's time to find treasure in those transitions, whether that means you supporting others' transformation journeys or managing your own. This is where the smaller operators have a big advantage. Surfing through and monetizing those transition times while big competitors are either holding back and being risk-averse or leaping ahead and making all kinds of mistakes. So are you ready to take on the big three? I hope you're feeling more confident than ever about doing just that and looking at it from new perspectives and seeing it as an opportunity. 
We're going to continue to revisit the big three as we move into the end of the year. So thank you for listening in today. I've got some exciting trajectories and interviews planned for you up ahead. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, ideas, or stories to share. You can ping me directly at carol at speakermanretail.com or hit my site at speakermanretail.com to check out more insights, to subscribe to my updates, and get the latest on events and other happenings. And if you like what you're hearing, please do like, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time.